Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I hope that you will open them or turn them on to Mark chapter 7 as we are going through the book of Mark verse by verse and I have a card to read while you're finding that. Thank you for all the love that you showed our family and the loss of our mom. Thank you for all of the calls, text, food, and help. Thank you for the wonderful meal you provided after the funeral. God bless you all. God bless and love from the Gas family and the Preston family. For you who are here all the time, you can disregard this. You've heard it. But you might be saying, Jake, why do you read thank you cards before you preach? Uh, It is because we always want to be reminded that while we have multiple services and the Lord has continued to bless us with new families pretty much every week, that no matter how uh, God grows this church, you matter. You matter as a family. You matter as an individual. And we should love each other. We should care about each other through the good, through the bad. We should rejoice with those who rejoice. And we should weep with those who weep. And so it's always a reminder for each and every one of us to remember that there is no accidents. God has us here for a reason. And whatever that reason is, we should really care about being used by the Lord. And so today I want to ask you a simple question that I hope you will ponder with me this morning. Who have you put your trust in? Trust is a thing that is hard to give and it's easy to lose. Most of us look at the government and think, nope, don't trust them. Most of us would look at our place of employment and say, nope, don't trust them. Many would look at the church and say, nope, Don't trust them. And when you think about it, honestly, there are some good reasons not to trust. When you look at your place of employment, you have probably seen a business that has had an employee for decades, but yet fires them and replaces them with no second thought. Just like that, their slot has been filled. You and I have been around church long enough to know that we can hurt people and we can be hurt by church. And so it's easy to lose faith and trust in people. And if we're honest today, we can look at the government regardless of who is in charge and say, what a dumpster fire, right? There's nobody in their right mind trust the government. And this morning, I would encourage you that many times we try to trust in people. We try to put our trust in a pastor. We try to put our trust in a Sunday school teacher. We try to put our trust in a deacon. But friends, I want you to know there is only one person that you can trust. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastors fail, deacons fail, Sunday school teachers fail, churches fail, government fails, business fails, but there is only one when you look at the ups and downs in life, when you look at the losses and the diagnosis that rattle you to your core, when that betrayal happens from someone that you never thought would betray you, it's in those moments that who you trust sets the foundation for everything else you will believe. And so this morning when I ask you that question, who have you put your trust in? I hope that you will go through this text with me this morning and find out what God has to say. So if you would pray with me, and we will go verse by verse. Father, we thank you as always for your word. We thank you for the privilege to start in the first chapter of a book and go line by line, word by word, Lord, not skipping any of it, letting your word speak to us this morning. Lord, we're claiming your promise that it will not return void, that it will always accomplish its purpose. 
Father, today we are asking that if there's anything in my heart, Lord, that would grieve or quench what Your Spirit is trying to do in this place, that You would forgive me. And Lord, we acknowledge that if it's not Your Spirit and it's not Your Word, nothing good can come. And so, Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you're here today and you're um, wondering know why we go verse by verse, it's uh, very important that we study the whole counsel of God's Word. And I want to encourage you to take notes this morning. And you say, well, why do I need to take notes? I believe there are two reasons that all Christians should take notes. The first is to study through the week, to really dive into the Word of God. But the second is you ought to hold the pastor accountable that the Word of God is being preached, that it's being taught, that you are not hearing a false gospel or a false witness in your heart and in your life. And so if you're taking notes this morning, and I hope that you will, we see the plan of Jesus, the plan of Jesus to meet people where they are. This is very important. The plan of Jesus to meet people where they are. Look in verses 31 and verse 32. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. This morning I want you to call attention to that again. Jesus is on the move. And if you have a Bible that has maps in them, or if you ever want to Google Jesus' journey or something like that, in your Bible you'll probably have a map of Paul's journeys, all the places that he went. You might even have a map of King David and all of his conquests. Or you might even have Jesus' journey. And if you ever look at the map of where Jesus went and what Jesus did, you will notice something. It wasn't always straight lines. It wasn't always the shortest past. When you look at his travel, you have to look and say, some of these places that he went to, you had to intentionally go to. Uh, It's kind of like Walpole if you're from Hamilton County. Unless you specifically need to go to Walpole, you don't go to Walpole. Once a month or about once every two months, my grandparents are buried at uh, Hebron, and I always try to go by the cemetery. And so once or twice a month, I intentionally go to Walpole. But growing up as a child, that was one of the most special places in the world to me because my grandparents would live there. And and if you've ever been to Walpole, you'd go over Hickory Hill and the question was, how fast will mom let dad go on the straightaway, right? And it was a wonderful memory as a kid thinking we're almost there. But yet there was a reason to go. The people who mattered Uh, almost more than anyone that I've ever known, lived right there on the hill in Walpole. But yet Jesus makes these spots into places that were off the beaten path. They weren't the center of religious activity. Why? Because there were people that He had a plan and a purpose to find and to meet. And friends, this morning you might be saying, well, Jake, our marriage is so bad, could God really find us? where we are. Or you might be saying, Jake, on the outside I look like a good Christian, but deep down in my heart there are so many things that are not right with the Lord. Or you might be saying, Jake, I am running from God. How could He find me where I'm at to help me in the problem that I'm facing? Look up here. We serve a God who is in all places 
at all times. We serve a God who is all-powerful and all-knowing. There is not a hole big enough that you can dig to escape from God. There is not a bottle that is empty enough for you to drink your way away from God. There is not a sin that you can indwell yourself in as much that God cannot pull you out of. That is why some of my favorite verses are always talking about the Lord lifted me from the miry clay. It gives you this idea that you were drowning, that you were hopeless, that you had no other where to go. And God came to right where you were and lifted you up. That can be emotionally. That can be spiritually. That can be physically. That can be a life of rebellion where you have ran from God. Look up here. God knows how to find you and He knows how to rescue you no matter where you are. And that's what we see from this this morning. He went intentionally to someone who had a need. And friends, this morning, I know we don't like to admit that we have needs, that we have problems, that we have situations, but friends, we do. And you might be saying when you look at this, well, this isn't even that big of a need compared to some of the other people. I mean, think about the woman who had the flow of blood for years. Think about the demon-possessed man. Think of the demon-possessed little girl. Think of those who were lame and couldn't walk. Think of those who were blind and couldn't see. Deaf and not being able to speak, that, that seems almost insignificant compared to some of these other ones. But I want you to know something. I think this is in here for a reason. I think it is in here for you and I to realize that even though my problems might not be as big as someone else, the Lord cares. And friends, I want to say this, and I've said it a bunch, and if you're tired of hearing it, just don't listen. It doesn't matter how big a hole in a boat is, if it's your boat, it matters. When it's your marriage that's starting to crumble, when it's your kids that are starting to go wayward, when it's your doctor visit that says there could be something wrong, it doesn't matter what everyone else's problems in the world are. In that moment, it rocks you to the core. You say, well, Jake, I'm not as depressed as someone else. It matters to God. I'm not as fearful as someone else. It matters to God. My cancer's not as bad as someone else's. It matters to God. My, my health is not as bad. It matters to God. This morning, you need to know that even though you might think your problems are insignificant, even though you might be trying to handle your sin on your own, God is what you need. God is who you need. The power and presence of God in your life is the answer. You say, well, Jake, is it the answer for every problem? Absolutely. No matter what you are facing, the number one response should be, Lord, I need you. Whether it was Peter when he was drowning, whether it was the disciples on the boat, whether it was the fact that they couldn't feed the 5,000 or they couldn't feed the 20,000, however many was there, every single time the answer was Jesus. Friends, this morning I want to encourage you that what God is looking for us is humility. The humility to say, Lord, I need you. Look what it says there in that verse at the end of verse 32. And they begged him. Why? He couldn't speak for himself. They spoke for him. He couldn't hear for himself, so they brought him to the one who could. Listen to how Isaiah 65 describes this. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am. Here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. 
It's just telling us that the Lord found Israel. And the Lord is the one who instigates His love for us. It is the Lord who first loved us. It is the Lord who loved us while we were yet sinners. It is the Lord who before the foundation of the world put in a play to save you and I from our sins. Don't ever forget that. You say, well, Jake, I'm too broken. I'm I'm too sinful. I'm too wayward. Things are so bad. I want you to know the Lord is saying to you, here I am. That's why the Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Seek me and you will find me. If you will draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. We're seeing this. But we're seeing that it doesn't start with us. It's the Lord who starts it. It's not an accident that you're here this morning. It's not an accident that that Christian became your friend at work. It's not an accident that that person in church came to you and encouraged you and prayed for you and loved you. No, God is saying, I loved you first. And God has a plan. You say, well, Jake, God couldn't have a plan for me. I'm just too broken. I'm too messed up. Let's go on and see what it says here in these verses. And so, if you're taking notes, we not only see the plan of Jesus to meet people where they are, we see the power of Jesus to change the lives of people. Look what it says in verses 33 through 35. And he took him from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed. And he spoke plainly. You see, not only does Jesus show us that he has a plan to meet you, but he has a plan to change you, to rescue you, to save you, to deliver you, to work in your life. Now, this is one of those miracles that you just kind of read through and think, I'm not sure what to take from this. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I'd want someone to walk up to me in the lobby and be like, boop, heard you got ear problems. Only time I put my my finger in someone's ears was when I give my kids wet willies, and I do that quite often. You say, that's gross, that's awful. They ought to give me some joy for having, no, just kidding. I'm kidding. And they do it back, so don't, don't think it's just me. But the idea of just someone walking up and doing that is amazing. It's just, it's overwhelming. But not only that, he takes his hand and puts it on this man's lip. And you say, Jake, why would he do that? This is what I believe. You can disagree with me. You can be wrong. It doesn't bother me at all. Jesus has just got done talking about the fact that what you eat doesn't make you unclean. Right? It goes in, it comes out. It's the heart. And in the Jewish mindset, it was though, if you had a problem, it was because of sin in your life. You were unclean. I believe Jesus touches this man to show them that he is willing to come into not only the mess that I am, but that it can affect him. He is holy. He is perfect. He is righteous. He is just. God is not worried about getting anything on him when he changes you, when he forgives you, when he saves you. Why? Because he is holy and he's perfect and he's trying to teach the disciples who are going to be doing ministry after him that listen to me, you can't get unclean by caring for those in need. You can't be unworthy by ministering to those who you view unworthy. It is a model for us to love the broken and the hurting and the widow and the orphan. 
I always say this and I believe it. I serve here because of the Lord and I serve here at the privilege of you. For as long as the Lord and you see fit, I will serve here. When the day comes that either one of those change, see you later. But while I will chase you to every hospital, nursing home, uh, any sickness you have, I will be there for you. I want to be the shepherd God wants me to be. But on the flip side of that, I have never turned down a funeral or a visit from someone who doesn't have a church home or someone who doesn't go here. Why? Because when someone loses a loved one, every family deserves the dignity and respect for someone being there for them. They deserve that. You say, well, Jake, you don't know them. You don't know about them. That doesn't matter. That doesn't value the, devalue the fact that they deserve someone loving them in the name of Jesus. You say, well, good thing I'm not called a preacher because then I would have to do that. This is what it looks like at church. Stephen, I used you in the first service. I'm going to use you again. I rode the school bus with Stephen. I know you, buddy. It's good to see you at church. Man, it's great to have you. Great to have you. Jerry's a guest. I've never seen her before. Hey, Angie, it's so good to see you. Some of you are feeling guilty because you did that this morning. And you should. Why? Because if God brings someone into your life, God brings someone into this church, God brings someone into your place of employment, there's a reason. It might be to encourage them. It might be to correct them. It might be to share the gospel with them. But there is no accident in the plan and power of God as He works in your life and mine. You say, well, Jake, that person's a problem. That person is difficult. That person is a challenge. Yes, but God still has a reason. That's why we see from this passage of Scripture here that when He does this, everything changes for this man. Today I want to encourage you, if you are the man with the problem, if you're the woman with the problem, you need to know that Jesus can work. Maybe you're today and you're saying, Jake, how can God use me to minister to someone else? How can God use me to make a difference in someone else's life? It might just bring that you bring someone with a problem to hear about Jesus, to know Jesus, to meet Jesus. Listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 15, verse 2. The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. This morning, do you really believe that Jesus has the power to save? Do you really believe that Jesus has the power to bring the prodigal home? Do you really believe that Jesus has the power to restore a marriage? Do you really believe that Jesus has the power to heal and work and move? Friends, because if you don't, friends, it's a hopeless world. If you and I don't, we're operating in the same power that the world has. And the Bible says that is a power of defeat. They worship a ruler who has been defeated. But we serve a God who wants us to have life and more abundant. Now, I'm not talking about the nonsense that Joel teaches. I'm talking about real power. I'm talking about real problems and real victory. And even when you don't get the victory that you think you should, that you know that God is faithful and worthy. Third and final thing, and hopefully I'll get you out early today. We see the plan of Jesus to meet people where they are. We see the power of Jesus to change the lives of people. But the third and final one is the hardest one of all. 
we see that the people who have been changed by Jesus cannot keep it a secret. I don't miss that. We see the people who have been changed by Jesus cannot keep it a secret. Look what it says in verses 36 and 37. Then He commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more He commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Today I ask you that question. If Jesus has changed you, if the power of God has been involved in your life, are you telling anyone about Him? Now, just bear with me for a moment longer. When you are really happy, or you are really angry, most people get very talkative. When I'm having a good time, and I'm laughing, and I'm joking, I can take it way overboard. And I can tell you when I am angry, you don't have to worry about me being quiet. You don't have to worry about being looking all stoic and in control. No. The filter is gone. But what I love or what I hate, it, it drives me to a point where I have to say something. But as long as I'm pretty calm, I'm usually okay. But in our walk with the Lord, we have been given so much that something should be coming out of us about Him. Because not only did God forgive us, He didn't just look at us and say, I'm going to take all your sins and wash them white as snow, and that's all there is to it. No, He looked at our sinful condition and says, I'm going to send the greatest gift that heaven has to offer. I'm going to send my only begotten Son. And not only is He going to live a perfect life, which He did, which was righteousness, I'm not only going to let Him live a perfect life, He is going to suffer for you. They're going to spit on Him. They're going to pull out His beard. They're going to whip Him with a whip of bone and metal and rip the skin from Him. Not only is He going to live a perfect life and He's going to suffer, He is going to go to the cross and die in your place. Taking your sin and my sin upon Himself on the cross and dying. And not only is He going to live a perfect life, suffer a horrific end, die a terrible, gruesome death, but three days later He is going to arise. He is going to conquer sin and death and the grave because He has risen from the dead. He is the first of many. You see, friends, if you get over what Jesus Christ has done for you, there is a problem. You say, well, Jake, how do I get to a place where I feel comfortable talking about Jesus? Start in your car. When you're driving by yourself, begin to pray out loud. Lord, thank you for the day. Lord, thank you for my spouse. Lord, thank you for my children. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to go to work or on vacation. Or thank you, Lord, for letting me be retired. And just try to pray as long and as much as you can. Lord, help me when I get to work to keep my foot out of my mouth. Lord, help me to love people that are unlovable. Lord, help me to not slap the person who don't, definitely deserves it, all right? Whatever you got to pray. You say, well, what do people think if I'm talking out loud in my car? Listen, 
There are people who drive around and pick their nose and eat their boogers. You talk it, it's not a problem. You say, oh, Jake, I can't believe you said it. You've seen it and you know it. People will drive watching movies. They'll drive reading a book. You praying out loud is not a big deal from their standpoint. But I want to tell you something. It will change your life. And then it'll be amazing once you get to work, out of the overflow of that time of prayer, someone will say something, someone will do something. I try to do that every time I go to a hospital. And just recently there was a a family that had lost a loved one and and, uh, the room was full and I told myself when I got on the elevator, I'm not going into the room, I'm not going to bother them. But if that person's in the lobby... I'll know, Lord, you want me to talk to him, you want me to pray with him, you want me to encourage him. And so I got there, got off the elevator, and there the person sat. But I want you to know I've got off the elevator a whole bunch of times and there was nobody there. But all I can do is prepare myself for where God is sending me, who God is sending me to. And today I ask you that question because what you are passionate about will be what is coming out of your mouth. As most of you know, Our family is slightly competitive. Not a lot, but a little. I got a call from my mother this week saying, you have a child in your house that is not competitive. And I went, that can't be right. That can't be right. They hear us talking about listening and and working hard and being successful. They, They hear us talking about all these things. They just can't be. She said, you need to ask your daughter about races today. I said, okay. So I asked my daughter, I said, hey, I heard you didn't want to race today. I heard you didn't want to win. She goes, well, I just don't think exercise is worth it. I thought, that's my wife's kid right there. (laughs) And I said, well, but didn't you want to beat your classmates? I know you could do it. She goes, you know what? I just really didn't want to run for fun. And I went, I get you, kid. 110%. And so I said, but winning didn't matter to you? And then the other kids are chiming up going, hey, hey, I'm catching my sister in AR. Hey, I'm doing this. And I don't think my kids love to read. I think they love to win. Right, but that's what they're passionate. And they know that I am passionate about that. And so that's what they talk about. But I asked that same child a little bit later. I said, are you sure? You don't want to run and beat your classmate? Don't you know how much fun it is to win? She said, no, I just don't care. And I went, I didn't know what to say. It's not a problem, and it's kind of lighthearted, and and we'll work that out of her as she gets older. but, um, But I say that because she wasn't passionate about it. But friends, I ask you this question. Why are you never talking to anybody about what God has done in your life? If we know Him, the fact that He can rescue us, that He can redeem us, that He can save us, that He can work and move in our lives, why would we not tell a world that is hopeless about a God of hope? Why would we not look at those people that we work with that are struggling, that are, that are failing, that are falling apart and say, I know a man. You see, that's one of the greatest things that we can tell people is that we do not serve a God who was, but we serve a God who is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. 
We serve a God who is able to save. We serve a God who is able to heal. We serve a God who is able to work. We serve a God who is able to move. I want to encourage you this week when someone talks to you about their problem to do this. Don't just tell them you understand. Don't just ask, well, have you talked to someone? Or have you tried this? This morning or this week, I want to encourage you when someone comes to you with a problem in your life, the first thing I encourage you to say is, have you taken it to Jesus? Have you taken it to Him? If you look at every problem in the New Testament, whether it was the woman with the flow of blood, whether it was with the, the, the lack of food at the feeding of the multitudes, whether it was the the demon-possessed daughter that we looked at last week, the answer was never a man. It was never a church. It was never an idea. It was never a program. It was always the King of kings and Lord of lords. Fully man and fully God. Jesus Christ. Friends, if you want to know the name that is above every name, it is Jesus. If you want to know the name that has power, it is Jesus. If you want to know the name and the power that everything Colossians says was created, was created for Him and by Him and through Him, it is Jesus. He is the answer this morning. Whether it's little, whether it's big, whether it's sinful, whether it's discouragement, wherever you are in your walk with the Lord, wherever you are in your journey, along this life, you need to know something. Jesus Christ is the answer. And this morning if you say, Jake, well, I'm in a pretty good place. How do I apply this to my life? The answer that you are to be giving people is Jesus. I know it's easier to invite people to church. I know it's even easier if someone says, oh, so-and-so goes out there. I really like them to say, oh, yeah, come. And you can sit by them. Or someone says, oh, I'd like to go out there. they got a great this or a great that. Yeah, but friends, that's not the answer. Tell them about Jesus. Psalms 40 verse 10 says it like this. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great Assembly. King David says, every chance I get, I'm telling them about Jesus. Every opportunity I get, I'm going to talk about how good God has been to me. You say, Jake, I don't have a powerful testimony. I don't have a lot to thank God for. Then friends, you look around with someone you go to church with and you tell them about what God's doing in their life. You say, well, Jake, we've never had marriage trouble. How do I tell someone about God being able to work through marriage trouble? You sit in Sunday school long enough or you sit in church long enough, you'll find out that someone has. And you can say, hey, God delivered them. You can look at someone who's lost a loved one and you can say, that family has been through it, but God's been with them. You can say, well, that family had the, the dreaded diagnosis of cancer and God was with them. That family had a child who was a prodigal for many, many years, and now he's the pastor at Ten Mile. God is faithful. The testimonies are there. And what we are called to be doing is just telling people about how good our God is. Start in your car. Start in your prayer closet. Just saying it out loud.
Start reading your Bible out loud about all the things that God does. You say, well, what if I don't have all the answers to a person's questions? Friends, no one has all the answers except for Jesus. I can tell you I many times have to Google what does the Bible say about this. We don't know it all. But don't let our fear of not knowing keep us from telling what we do know. And that is that Jesus is worthy. That He is faithful. And that He is able. Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank You so very much for Your Word. And Lord, Your Word is what we're trusting in. Your Spirit is what we are relying on. And so the Lord, this morning we thank You for Your Word. Father, I pray this morning for that person that's here today that has never trusted You as the Lord and Savior of their life. Lord, that Your Holy Spirit is dealing with them, showing that there is a place created by You that they can enjoy for all of eternity called heaven. But Lord, also convict them that their sin and their rejection of You, Lord, will send them to a place called hell. A place created for Satan and his fallen angels. But yet the Bible says his, its borders are expanding always. Father, today I pray that You would do what only Your Spirit can do. Convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Father, this morning for us that know You, I pray, Lord, that You'd remind us that You can find us where we're at in whatever struggles that we have, and You can work. Father, I pray today that if we are saved and we feel that we are strong in our faith, that today You would send us out to declare Your goodness to a lost and dying world, to a world desperate for hope, that, Lord, You are the answer. You are the answer to the problem of sin, shame, death, discouragement. Lord, You are the answer. Lord, we're going to trust You with the results knowing only You can produce them. And just help us to be faithful. Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.